Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter, at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 50. Let's roll. We are one week in the books of preseason football, and I'm super excited to, to, to have my guest on today, a guy that actually delves right into the, the Dynasty Game Theory with me. I was on his podcast not too long ago, Dynasty and Chill, and um, today I have on, on the program Scott Connor. Scott, what's going on, buddy? Scott, Mr. Jax Falcone. Glad yes, to uh, get on your show after uh, a bunch of interactions that we've had over the years, and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, it's a crazy... It's busy, but this is why we live for Dynasty. This is why uh, this is the best time of year. Everybody's starting to get active again. We're starting to get some player value movement. We have some real football. So, yeah, glad to be here to chop it up. Yeah, real football is one heck of a thing. I mean, we go from February to this time of year with just, you know, draft and rookie drafts and prognostications and predictions and all that nonsense. And and now we get a chance to actually evaluate you know, players playing football. That, that, that sounds like a relief and a re- refreshing idea, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I mean, we've kind of come through this stale period the last, you know, end of June into July. It's it's kind of stale. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of leagues where they kind of just go silent and there's not a ton of activity, at least large scale. You know, some leagues That's are more right. active than others. But yeah, I'm just glad that we're now at a point where like something can happen in a game or something can happen and it actually can change something in dynasty there's a cascade effect and we get that from now on until the end of the season so that's that's where the money's made to be quite honest so yeah glad to be here and uh yeah talk some real real actionable items from the preseason i know we're going to get into some of that because it's uh it's already overreaction season no no doubt about it and uh you, you know you're catching mr game theory on vacation i'm i'm recording on location from the dynasty dynasty game theory um mansion rental you know i mean on vacation with the pool and the kids and the and the drinking my brain is floating it's going to be a it's going to be a great time i've been floating in the pool my brain's been floating in my body i am completely detached and having fun but you know then i got to hop on this podcast here in, in sunny southern california and, and hop on with scott connor and 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 bring the heat so i'm ready for it buddy yeah let's go i know there's uh, All right, baby. there's a good topic that i'm ready to chop into because it's uh it's a passion project, so let's get into it. Absolutely. Well, let's get into that. But first, you told me, uh, you know, again, I'm, 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 you know, I'm floating in a pool. I'm, I'm not really looking at the at the news. And you told me Chase Claypool got hurt. Speaking of, uh, you know, uh, act, uh, things that can change everything and have that trickle down effect, uh, Chase Claypool getting hurt could do that. But uh, my understanding is it's not too bad, or at least uh, projected not to be too bad, and he's going to be okay. Is that what's going on here? Yeah, I think the quote was, uh, this was not a significant injury. So does that mean he's out the rest of the preseason? Does it really matter? No, it sounds like it's not a big deal. Just one of those overreactions went down and uh, everyone freaks out for like 10 minutes until someone uh, calms our minds with a tweet saying it wasn't that bad. So yeah, I think he's good. Oh, uh, good. Well, you know, I, I've been uh, kind of all over Juju and um, not because I really like Juju, but because of ADP. Um, you know, again, uh, to, to quote the the, the king, uh, you know, I don't hate players. I just hate ADPs. So, but, um, you know, uh, Juju's just been such a value, but, you know, th- we're going to talk a little bit about the opposite of value, you know, and I think this is something that you've brought up a few times to me in, in the past. What, you know, um, I think you even mentioned on the pod, I was, uh, on your show and, uh, you know, you talk about cleaning up your roster and, and I think you've got a, a way of looking at, it. I'm going to ask you the question, 
you know, what are, what, what is sort of the thing that you're doing this time of year or, or what does that strategy look like for you as far as, you know, you called it roster cloggers. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an overarching idea that, uh, especially at wide receiver position, I think is where you see it the most, but you know, one thing I've made, you know, we talked about on the pod when we were on together about making bets, right. And one of the big bets that I've made across 60 leagues has been to really, really try to nail down positional advantages at quarterback and at, at tight end where I can investing in those positions, trading for those positions, over investing in those positions and essentially kind of letting things just settle where they may at running back. And I think one of the critical things uh, to understand about that is, yes, I mean, there are a ton of receivers that are relevant. Uh, I think you've talked about that. I've hammered that for the last couple of years, just how many good receivers there are. Uh, but I do think it, given your league, you know, every league's different. There's a calculation yes. to be done at every league. How many teams, how many starters, how many roster spots, what's the scoring for each position, how flexible or unflexible are the rosters. But I like to call it essentially just calculating, you know, where's the threshold for the receivers that I want to roster? You know, is yes. it a league where, and I'll just throw out two quick examples. Let's say I start nine league where you only have to start two receivers. So maybe there's a couple flexes, but but the idea really is you don't probably want to roster a lot of receivers that are outside the top maybe 40 or so in Dynasty. And that doesn't mean they have to be a top 40 receiver. They can also be a guy that can produce, you know, Emmanuel Sanders could have a top 40 year. He's not a top 40 Dynasty receiver, but you get the idea. You know, you really want to have a stopping point. You do not want to be clogging your roster up, especially if you only have 25 roster spots, 28 roster spots. I want to almost be able to just plug in a floor receiver every single week in every spot. I want to have enough to cover my buys, to cover my injuries. So just think of like, I want 2X receivers that fit that threshold in the flexes and in the receiver spots. After that, I'm done. I don't want to invest in a bunch of other receivers after that. If I can't tell you that they're going to gain value in a year or I can flip them for more than what I paid, I don't want to roster them. So that's one thing I've been doing is going through my teams are typically, you know, this year I've made a huge bet on being strong at quarterback, strong at tight end. I've tried to nail down that receiver threshold. Every other roster spot's dedicated to running back. And a lot of times those moves to maybe get an extra quarterback or get an extra tight end, comes sacrificing the running backs. You know, I don't want to hold a lot of running back equity on my teams. I don't want to hold four top 20 running backs on one team. To me, that's too fragile. You know, running backs are way too fragile. We've already seen one injury to a running back. Even if they're a guy that has a ton of value, they just don't recover a lot of times. They're risky. So I don't want to hold a lot of them on one team. It leads to this strategy though, to where I have rosters for the last couple of years where you know, I have 14, 15, 16 receivers on these rosters, and I can't imagine a scenario where I ever can play play them. And how do I get back to this optimal roster construction that I'm making this bet on? And so it's typically, you know, right now I'm going through and just saying, okay, if this receiver doesn't fit the threshold in this league, obviously it's different. If I'm in a league where there's 13 starters and I can start nine receivers, that's totally different. I'm valuing players differently because one's way, way down in the threshold. And then one might be in it, you know, depending on the settings. Uh, but I'm just trying to get rid of those guys on my teams, you know, finding opportunities. Uh, Marquez Calloway's one that's come up recently. Like he had no value a month ago he had no value two months ago. Now he's getting a little bit of buzz. 
I probably can't trade him for a second. I got one deal done out of 10 shares of Marquez Callaway. I traded him for a 2023 second and I gave back a fourth next year. I'll take that all day, but that's that's a one-off. You know, That's a 10% or less deal you're going to get. So how do I get rid of him at a time where he could lose all his value in two months? If he goes out and doesn't do anything for two months this year, he's done. He's, he's no value. He's droppable. Can't even get a third for him. So how do I get ahead of that? And if I can't get the draft pick that I want, what kind of move can I make? So typically I'm just looking to try to get running backs for those guys. Give me a running back that's going to make a team. There's a hundred of them right now. This is the second week of preseason, right? Every backfield has like four relevant guys. Now, some are going to get cut. I'm going to have to mass cut a bunch of these guys, but still, you know, getting rid of some of these wide receiver 80s and 90s and 100s and the guys that are drafted in the fourth and fifth and sixth round, uh, those are the ones to to get rid of. Those are the cloggers. So that's been my strategy. I've made a couple deals, uh, but there's still a lot to be made. And there's a ton of players. Just pull up like DLF's ADP and look at every receiver outside like the top 70 or 80. And you go, what's the reason for having this player on a dynasty roster? Well, and, and <clears throat> you know, I've got some strategies on how to, how to get rid of those guys. But first I'm going to touch on the beginning. Um, you know, I think the first thing, and it's so funny because, you know, we can talk about a strategy of, of getting rid of you know, a guy like Marquez Calloway, but in, in the league that, uh, you know, you're in the dynasty game theory invitational, there's 14 of us. It's a 14 man league. Um, and it was originally started up as a 12 man league. So it is crazy deep now because you start three wide receivers, you start four flex two super flex. So now you can really start seven wide receivers on 14, uh, 14 man, uh, league. Uh, I'm not very good at math, but that's a lot of fucking wide receivers that you could be starting. So your depth and Marcus Callaway is almost certainly starting uh, in a league uh, on a team in that league. Whereas conversely, you know, I mentioned a a trade I made last week with Michael Liu and, and, you know, um, I traded, you know, Elijah Moore, Jalen Rager, a first and Baker Mayfield for Lamar Jackson. I would never make that trade in this league that we're in together because it's just too much depth. I'm giving up, but in that league, not that Elijah Moore is a roster clogger by any means, but he would have been my fifth wide receiver or something on a, on a, in a team that I can only start two and two flex. And, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to have those guys. you got to really make a top heavy roster. So the first thing that you said was so true in that you have to identify and calculate your league in so far as how many roster spots, what's the scoring settings. First and foremost, you must do that. Once you've done that, in a league like you're talking about where, you know, um, you know, the, you, you maybe 28 man league, you know, you start 10 or something like that. So maybe you can start three or four or five max wide receivers in a 12 man league. Yeah. Your, your wide receiver 12 on your own team is likely not going to help you. And, and so, yeah, I, but speaking to the strategy about how I get rid of those guys, generally I'm looking to package up guys that are not the very last guy on my roster because nobody really even wants them. They they almost hold zero value. You almost either need to drop them, but you're never going to get anything in trade. So I just look up. You know, If I have a 20 man, 28-man roster, maybe I'm looking in the 20s, and I'm going to maybe grab a couple of those guys plus one of my good players in a draft pick and see if I can't package that for a better player. Um, and just try and move up the ladder in terms of talent. And sometimes you can make a mistake doing that. You think you're moving up and you actually move down. But ultimately, the idea is if you can use some of those quote-unquote worthless assets and when they're packaged in a trade, sometimes your opponent will look at them and go, well, that's not bad. I got James Washington and this guy. And and next thing you know, he's like, yeah, that's worth it. I'm going to do it. You know, I got a second round next year. Meanwhile, from your perspective, all of those things that I added to my guy to get your better guy were worthless to me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's there's two points that you made that the first one, I'll just speak to what you just said. Uh, you're actually gaining some value by doing deals like that because there is, you know, there's two things I like to calculate before I even start a league. Uh, the one thing is the value of a roster spot. How many starters, how many total roster spots? And sometimes you have to calculate, is there a taxi squad? Who's eligible for it? How do you want to allocate? Is that worth a full roster spot or can it only be rookies? Because, I mean, it's not technically a full roster spot if it can only be rookies. But I think the point is you have to get a feel. This is where playing in a lot of leagues helps. I'm in leagues where there's 27 roster spots. I'm in leagues when there's 42. So there's you can sense a difference as to what a roster spot is worth in one versus the other. What's the ratio of the starters to the roster spots? A start, I, I mean, it's one of the most important things. I've seen people come to me and say, hey, what do I do in this league? It's a start nine with 38 roster spots. And it's like, well, all that league has done is created this dead spot to where like the back 25 players on every team are worthless because every person in the league, if they're at all smart, is sitting there going, Bingo. well, it's only start nine. So really the only, only like the top, maybe 15 to 18 players on every team matters. So why are we carrying 20 extra? So I think there is an important thing to keep a good, healthy league is to have a balance. If it's a shallower league, it should be a shallower overall roster spot limit because it creates, it keeps the market fluid from starters to bench players to draft picks and stuff. Uh, But just back to the, the example, and this is something I share with our patrons a ton is 14 teams, right? That's our that's our uh, game theory league, right? 14 teams. Yep. Three receivers. That's 42 right there that are started guaranteed in every single lineup, right? That's 42 yes. receivers. Now, you can also calculate the value of the flex. And what you do is go through – I typically use the last three years worth of data. And I'll go through and just look at the distribution over the last three years. How many times did a receiver on average per week go into one of the flex spots based on this scoring? On P- for PPR, now this is half PPR with a little bit of different tight end premium. The quarterback yeah. scoring's elevated. But just for PPR, if you're just talking like a vanilla PPR and tight ends aren't relevant at all, uh, until you get past 1.5 premium, the tight ends don't impact the flexes. There's not 12 of them that should fit in the flex. That's right. PPR, it's about 60% over the last five years. 60% of the time, a wide receiver should be in the flex. That's the optimal play. So what's we have four flexes. 14 teams, that's 56, right? <laughs> yeah. And what's 60% of that number? You're talking about, you know, you're talking 35, like yeah. thir- 32, 34. Yeah. So you add the 34 to the 42, and this is just real basic high level. 32 plus 30, or 32 plus 42, around there. That's your threshold. 75. Yeah. Seven, just t- say 75. That's the ballpark number. I don't want a receiver that is outside of that, period. And my goal is I don't want to, you know, I I might want to start seven receivers. Technically, that's optimal. I don't want to be starting wide receiver 68 through 75, right? Right. I want to be starting seven as as high as I can. But then what's the acquisition cost? You know, where is that value curve? You know, the wide receiver two might cost three times what the wide receiver 30 does. But the wide receiver 30, man, if I have seven of those, I'm I'm in good shape. You know what I mean? Like all of those guys are starters in this league. So it's really doing a calculation like that and figuring out what's that threshold. And you can get ahead of it by saying, okay, the threshold in my league is is 59 receivers or 50 receivers. Why the hell am I rostering wide receiver 90? When I'm in the fourth round of a rookie draft, why would I even draft a receiver there? I don't care how much I like them. You're really just setting yourself up to have a clogger in a year 
You know, especially if you think it's, oh, he has a great profile. It looks like he's going to have a great landing spot. Boom. And most likely you're just going to set yourself up to have another clogger. So that's something to think about with receivers. We're so deep. They're easy to find. Uh, but try that. And that, that's my plan when I go into these leagues. That's that's different at other positions. But uh, for receivers especially, that's an easy way to eliminate getting yourself stuck in this mess. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, you know, in a, in a league like this, when you just did that math, what it, what it tells you is that, you know, it it rewards depth. And in the, the previous league, when you said you start nine and have a short bench, it rewards top end talent. Yep. You know, you're, you're going to make a two for one trade anytime in that, that start nine league. Whereas in this league, you'll consider a, a one for two because, you know, those two, that second player you're getting in the, in the one for two is likely a starter. Whereas, you know, you don't want to trade two bench guys or one, one starter for two bench guys in a, in a start nine league. That doesn't even make any sense. So, but you can sometimes fool people with the the trade calculator or the, you know, hey, Jarvis Landry and this guy equal, you know, uh, whatever, you know, uh, high-end wide receiver to Andre Hopkins or something. You're like, yeah, that's true. They are. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, so it depends on the league as to where, whether or not you're making those types of moves or not. And uh, I think that's important because a lot of times, you know, we evaluate trades on Twitter or, you know, just ask questions or get answer questions in a vacuum, you know, would you trade this and this for that? It's like, I just don't have enough information. You know, sometimes they're really close and maybe I prefer one side or the other based on player eval, but really the, the game theory or the strategy part of it, we need more information. Yeah. I mean, in this league, I think uh, we even might've, cause we went back and forth on a couple of trades and I, my response uh, I made a trade with Michael Liu early and I made another one with yep. you. My response was always, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'll give up the value in the startup, right? Like I gave up a two, a three and a six from to Michael to move up. But I also yep. knew as long as I'm getting back the same number of picks that I gave away. Yeah. I got back an eighth. I got back a 10th and yeah, that's going to be a little less than the players that I'm going to get at the three and at the six. But the point is I've already calculated, you know what? They're within a threshold. I'm going to be able yes. to just fit somebody at that pick. That's going to be in my lineup. There's going to be – now, is it going to be the same quality of player that I would have gotten in the 6th versus the 10th? No. But the idea was where you can really get yourself in trouble in some of these crazy leagues is I see deals all the time in startups where you know, if you're in this league, like a 14-team start 12, and you make one of those deals where you trade you know, a second, a fifth, and a future first for one player and it does not go your way – You've mm-hmm. been you've been absolutely crushed by that other team. You've given up all your leverage. You've given up all your flexibility. At least if I do a three for three, even if I'm getting two picks significantly lesser valued in the startup, I still have two shots to match similarly to what you did with those picks that you traded up for. You know what I mean? I still get a shot at the Apple. I'm not I'm not trading a three for one. That that type of deal, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it too. I've seen some teams just absolutely destroyed where they think they're so confident in the startup and they mortgage all their future picks and they consolidate everything for like nine or 10 players. All it takes is like two or three of those guys to disappoint or get hurt or bust. And then it's like, you have a roster that's just drawing dead. And that, you know, that's not what I'd want to do in a league like this. So I even said to Michael, like, Hey, I'm not giving up any leverage. You know, I'm not doing the deal where I move up in two rounds and I give up a future first. You know, I, I, if anything, I'm looking to do that the other way as I start building my team at the top, I'll trade back later on in the rounds. I'm sure we'll get into that later, but that's, I think that's important is these leagues, 
man, if you can't get the leverage, you cannot give it up in terms of gutting all your future picks or you can be in serious trouble if you don't pick the right players. Yeah, I mean, generally when I'm trading out of the first, I'll try and uh, attain a 22 or future first, you know, in this case, a 22 first, obviously. Um, And you're right, it's hard to come by. I mean, they were really hard to come by in that league. Nobody was just, you know, spending them uh, frivolously. Uh, It is a real money league. It's not a huge amount of money, but uh, it's enough that we're all invested in this in this league and 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 we want to win it. I think there's also pride, too. When you get a bunch of dudes like us, you all want to win it. And, you know, you've got a really good team. Uh, and you did a great job. You, you were able to – you said it actually very well because, you know, when you first moved up, I said, uh-oh, I'm not sure if that's the right strategy in this league because of how deep it is. But you did the – you just said it in, in your response. You did that thing where you calculated where the stop is. And I thought it was right around, uh, you know, rounds 8 to 12 in there. That's where there was still going to be some juice, some starters drafted. I actually – I don't know if you noticed, but I actually had – 16 picks in the top 12 and then I didn't pick for a couple rounds after that and I wish I would have had a couple picks there but whatever Uh, because there was some there was a little bit of value after the 12th but I decided I wanted to pack as many players into that top 12 I had uh uh 10 uh, 14 in the top 10 and 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 16 in the top 12 and and it really gave me depth of starters you know because let's face it you know yeah you're going to start 12 but not every week. You're going to need some backup. So I really wanted to have, you know, 14 to 16 solid players who are in that, who are in that top, uh, top tier of just sort of starters. I, I think I had mentioned it to you. I don't know if this was on your pod. I think I mentioned this, or maybe it was Sean McNamara, but um, you know, if you just look at like where those, where the cliff is in, in a dynasty startup draft, you look at the, let's just call it 30 quarterbacks. Let's just call it 30 running backs. You know, there's one on each team, basically 30, 30. Okay, great. Tight ends. I don't know. Let's just say there's 15 uh, wide receivers. You can probably say there's about, like you said, 70, 75. There's about two per team, generally more like, you know, Gallup, obviously on there. So let's just say 75, you know, when you're, when you're adding 30, 30, 15 and 75, that puts you right around the 150 mark, which is in a 12 man league is right around that 12th round. You know, so it's in that 10th, the 12th, 13th round, somewhere in there, you're going to start going, oh, there's not much left here. You know, there's just a lot of backups, a lot of promising uh, guys, backup running backs, handcuffs, uh, old guys, A.J. Green, whatever, you know, guys that you just don't want. So it's important to know where those drop offs are and why they're there. They're probably going to be in the same spot every every startup draft for the end of time, just because those numbers of how many starting quarterbacks are available in a league is never going to fucking change. It's one per team, you know? So I think that's where I start to look at it and just count those things out and, and try and circle that and, and get as many picks ahead of that threshold or in and around that threshold as possible. Yeah. And I think the two positions that you can gamble and say, okay, let's say you said 15 tight ends. Let's say the number was 20 in your mind. Twenty. Let's say yeah. the running backs were 35 or 40. Right. That those are the two positions that there is so much attrition and yes. opportunity and targets are everything at those two positions. So, you know, I see honestly there are a couple tight ends that are still on the board that I'm surprised are on the board. There's a couple running backs that are still on the board that I'm going, okay, <laughs> if I can just buy a year of usefulness from this guy, that's a solid pick. I don't see the gap between you know, let's say a running back that was taken in round 12 and a running back that I may be able to get here in round 16 or 17. Those are the two positions that if I'm weak, 
I'm comfortable saying, okay, I'm going to play maybe the quantity over quality game at those two positions. If you try to do that at quarterback, you're way behind. Then there, yeah. there's a finite number of quarterbacks too. That's the other thing. I don't even care That's if right. you know you see people sometimes in startups they'll punt quarterback and then they'll end up with. Uh, I was grading somebody's team the other day and there's a two quarterback league and their top two starters were like Fitzpatrick and Darnold, mm. and it's a two quarterback league too. So I mean, we're talking not super flex. We're talking two quarterbacks. Uh, but the strategy they had taken was they had then rostered like eight backups. You know, they're rostering like the Chase Daniels and the Dwayne Haskins and, you know, those types of guys. And I go, even if they start, I'm still way behind. I I can't make up points if I'm throwing in Nick Mullins against someone else's, you know, Matthew Stafford. You know, rarely that's going to work. At running back or tight end, it could work. You know, there's going to be people that are starting. I mean, you know, this league, there's four or five guys in here that are like strictly hate running backs so there's going to be weeks where i can stream running backs off my roster and match half the teams in the league and the tight ends are all over the place you know you get to tight end 10 to tight end 30 any given week you know one of those tight ends could match so i think it's also important to know how the league's going to draft but also the positions that i'm willing to kind of push the uh the quality the quantity over the quality and those, those are the two spots right now in dynasty tight ends uh, and running backs, where if I can just go quality, uh, punt quality and get quantity there, I'm okay doing it. I don't want to be behind at receiver, and I don't want to be behind at quarterback. Yeah, that that's pretty awesome. I mean, one thing that I've been doing, and I'm sure you do too, is, you know, I've been doing a lot of best ball drafts. And, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, I've said over and over again, you know, people will ask why, you know, first of all, I'm updating my dynasty rankings all the time. And I feel like, um, you know, when the season starts, Dynasty turns into a redraft league, right? Because you could be like, oh, this guy's going to be so good in the future. Look, if he ain't good now, he ain't good yet. So I don't know, you know, you could say he's a, a better dynasty buy than a redraft. But what that basically means is he ain't going to be good this year and you're just projecting he's going to be good. So ultimately, year one value matters most when the season is in progress because that dude can actually score points for you in a couple of days. Like, oh shit, Christian McCaffrey, yeah, he's worthwhile because he just put up 38 PPR points or something. And I want him on my team so I can win right now. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of value that comes from, from playing in other uh, formats, especially if they're like you say, FFPC or underdog best ball, those are very, very sharp uh, platforms and you can really sharpen your sword there. I I assume you do this, right? Yeah. I think uh, this year there's been an explosion of content of people that are strictly just talking about best ball strategy and you know a lot of it is geared towards trying to win a tournament when you're facing thousands and thousands of other people so you do you do have to go to the extremes i think because if you think about it you know every single pick you make is like i'm trying to project one outcome if it doesn't work out you know if my first round pick gets hurt in an underdog tournament where there's forty thousand people that are in the tournament it doesn't matter there's nothing you can do to probably make that up because someone else probably has the exact same team you do but with one different running back so that you're just drawing dead so (laughs) that's right every decision is literally trying to play the extreme you know what i mean you're trying to pick one path and make that bet and try to find correlation with the rest of your picks. You know, I'm shooting for this one outcome. And it's a little different in Dynasty. We're just playing like, 
against 14 others or 13 others or 12 others, however many people in your league. Uh, but I, I think some of the principles that you can take away from it, just from like a roster construction standpoint and thinking that way, uh, there's a lot of things in dynasty. You can think that way too. And just kind of thinking bets going, okay, I'm already betting on this. And I mean, I know you're in a lot of leagues. I'm in a lot of leagues. It helps when you're in a lot of leagues, but I can look at this team and go, you know what? I'm invested in like these two or three things happening. And that's how the direction I'm going to take this team. So it makes sense to do X, Y, and Z. That doesn't mean I'm going to do that in every single league, but it makes sense uh, to do it in this league. And we'll talk more about that. But I think that's where I've, I've taken the best ballpark and applied it to Dynasty. And there's, I mean, there's going to be years and years of things we can continue to come up with. But I've really started to think that way uh, in Dynasty. We talked about that on my show about, you know, it, betting against other teams in your league, you know, not saying, yeah. okay, Hey, I, I think Jax is doing this. I don't agree with it. Guess what? I'm going to do the opposite because if I, if I'm right and you're wrong, you know, I've not only beat you, but I'm also ahead of you maybe next year. Cause I got your draft pick or something like that. I mean, there's always yeah. ways you can double down and, you know, I hate to say it, but if I'm going against you, I not only, I, I want to punish your team, not just beat you, but you know, I want to have the leverage against you next rookie draft season. You know, that's part yeah. of dynasty. So yeah, that's what's the most fun about Dynasty is just a sort of long term, you know, you can you can remain patient, you can you know, you can, you know, exact value way in the future. And I've done this many a times where you're like, you're just talking to a guy and and you see his team is so fragile and so it's it's going to it's going to dissipate over the next year or two. And you're like, dude, you're on top of the world. Give me your first in a couple of years. You're going to be fine. I mean, geez, Louise, it's hardly worth anything. And, you know, and then you get there first. And, and really what you've done is you knew you were betting it the whole way. And, you know, you didn't think that they were actually going to be good in two years. You thought they were going to be dog shit in two years. Um, and that was the bet you were making. And when it, when it comes through, when it comes true and, and, and you get to make that pick and it's one of the top three or four picks in the draft, you're just kind of like, you know, it takes two years for that plan to come to roost. You know, it's not a, it's so it's not an immediate gratification thing, but it's such a strategic fun thing to do. It's, it's just awesome. I love it. I'm sure you get off. Uh, you, the listeners can tell you kind of get off on that too. I mean, it's, it's the reason we play dynasty. Well, I mean, I'll give everybody an example of one thing that I've done is, uh, I am all in on 2023. I have, uh, yeah, I have 48 leagues that are not Debbie leagues. So strict, draft leagues where you can trade for future picks. And I've already got 70 first in 2023 out of the 48 leagues. And I'm doing whatever I can to get those picks. I, I'm literally going to, here's just a real easy example. If your team has Tom Brady on it, I'm trying to get your 2023 first. Just betting on the fact that he either A, doesn't play that long, B, maybe he hits the wall, not this year, maybe next year. You know, but I'm already looking at your team saying there's going to be a level of maybe some some issues that you're going to have. There's going to be some – your roster is going to be a little bit in flux in 2023. So can I get your first? Can I buy your first now? And I'm willing to trade away even things that may help me win right now, especially if I can do it at places that are easier to find. You know, I'll give you an example like Cortland Sutton, Okay. I think Cortland Sutton's one of those guys that probably could be worth more than what he is right now. He could be worth less. But I'll just go, I don't care if I'm the best team in the league, I'll go to the Tom Brady owner and say, I'll give you Cortland Sutton for your 2023 first. Because I know I know receiver is going to be easy for me to probably fill the way that I'm building my teams. So I'll take a little bit less depth, but I'm betting on that 2023 first. 
Because I think that could be one of those classes where, man, if you have uh, you have three or four firsts in one draft in that class, like you're going to be able to name your price. So, but the, that's a perfect example. The Brady team's going, I got Brady. He's pro- most teams with Brady probably are good. You know what I mean? They've held on to him or they traded for him. So they're not looking that far out. They may be willing to trade their pick. Now you got to pay up. Uh, but again, that's an easy example of, Hey, this roster is looking good now, but in two years, I'm just making a bet against their first. So I think that's an example um, of where I'm at. I feel I, like, I'm doing that. I feel like I feel like you're subtweeting me right now because I do have Tom Brady in that, in that league. Um, <laughs> I don't have your 2023 first. No, you don't. And I do have nobody's getting those either. Um, you're gonna have to. You're gonna. I have Cortland Sutton, so you can't give me Cortland Sutton for. But here, I didn't so even realize I you had Cortland Sutton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whom I do love. Who I'm way overweight with. I just felt like his value was super low. I mean, there's a couple guys like Cortland Sutton and Juju were both guys that I was you know, kind of targeting here lately because they're just, I just felt like, I, I don't know that they're elite or anything like that, but you know, they're going outside the top 24 wide receivers in, in most situations. And I think they're at least worth that or more, especially because uh, they're 24 and 25 years old. Um, at least Cortland Sutton profiles as an alpha uh, Juju, I think is just going to be a productive wide receiver for many years to come. I think his floor is sort of a Jarvis Landry, Tyler Boyd. And I'll take that going forward. Um, but I also think he has a higher ceiling than, well, I don't know about Jarvis. I mean, Jarvis had a pretty good ceiling for a while, but at least a higher ceiling than Tyler Boyd. But, um, you know, that, that that's just kind of how I feel about those guys. But, hey, in that league, I got Tom, I got Tom Brady at, at uh, quarterback 21. I felt pretty good about that, especially given the, the, uh, the scoring settings. It is six-point touchdown uh, passing. It's also points for – it's like the Scott Fishbowl where there's points for completion and incompletion, so efficiency matters. Uh, negative six for a pick six. So, you know, there's definitely some uh, some spots where Tom should be a little bit insulated from some of the negative numbers. Uh, there's no sack number. But you know, I got Kirk Cousins and, and Tom Brady at 21 and 22. Uh, even though I waited on quarterback, I felt like I got, you know, a, a pretty good quarterback stable. I've been saying with Tom Brady, like I have him ahead of Matt Ryan and Dynasty. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have him really close to and ahead of Daniel Jones and Dynasty. And here's why. Who's more likely to be playing and starting for their team next year for opening game? Not this year, next year. I think Tom is as good a bet as Daniel Jones or Matt Ryan. I think he's as good a bet. I don't think any of them are great bets because who knows. But I think he's as good a bet and he'll be better than them this year, I think. So that's the reason I've got him ahead in Dynasty. I mean, we always look five years, ten years. Look, that's too many years. I don't know what that was going to happen to Daniel Jones or – Matt Ryan, but I'm pretty sure Tom Brady's going to play for a couple more years. Yeah, no, I think uh, if you just look at the quarterback landscape, I mean, if I tell you a name and you tell me they're guaranteed to be starting in two years, those are the only guys you put ahead of Brady. I don't care if they're 23, 26, 29, 21. Right. If they're not going to have a job in two years, then how can you put them ahead of Brady? Now, they're there's obviously a finite limit with how long Brady's going to play. You, you may be able to sell somebody on, let's say Mac Jones is looking like a bust after two years. You may be able to sell somebody on Mac Jones in two years and get, you know, a second for him or something like that. But did you get the quality of production for those two years that you got out of Brady? Is that really worth that extra second that you may be able to cash in on a guy like you mentioned, Daniel Jones? This is probably the make or break year for him. Now, yes. you know, I'd say in two years, you're probably betting he's he's not likely a guaranteed starter. And even if he is, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, it, it's almost like you would sell him 
even if he continues to start because the dynasty community has already given up on the fact that he's going to start. So he's almost somebody I'd rather sell now. If I like him, I can buy him back in two years, even if he's a fringe starter. It's like Jameis Winston. Once he got benched and he wasn't a starter last year, people are done with him. He could go out and have three straight top 15 seasons. People are going to go, well, one more bad year and he's done again. You know what I mean? So there is no insulation with a lot of these back end quarterbacks. So yeah, you can guarantee Agreed. you can guarantee two years of insulation. Same with Cousins and Carr. Those are the two that are so efficient yep. historically. Like they're gonna play until they're not, but I'll keep betting on them every single year and maybe a year out. Uh obviously depending on their contract. But yeah, I, I think those were two great picks for this format. Cause if you're man, if you're starting one of the bottom like eight to ten quarterbacks in this league with the scoring and you only have one, I I just some of these teams, man, I'm just not sure, you know, they, yeah, they almost have to hit on the rookie next year. Otherwise, what are they going to do? I, I just don't, That's right. I don't see a path. That's right. I mean, with a 14 team league and you're starting basically two quarterbacks, I mean, you're, you, you can't not start a quarterback in the flex and the super flex. It's, it's, it's basically a two quarterback league. That's 28. So I've got three starters. I've got Wentz. I think you might, I, there's a few of us who have three, three or more starters and, that means that someone ain't got to, and that team's going to struggle. And, and and you pointed out, I mean, you know, um, if you don't have those stars, and that's why I think Tom Brady in this league is, is valuable because if I'm not winning somehow, if my team isn't winning, Tom Brady is going to be a super valuable piece to a contender. Super valuable because they, you know, they might need that extra quarter. Somebody's going to need them. I mean, if you're a quarterback away and my team isn't, you know, if Tom Brady ain't taking me there, he's going to be worth something. Um, you know, someone who may have maybe a, I'll give an example of Baker Mayfield is middling, you know, just kind of giving him 15, whereas Brady's putting up 25 and this team's going to make the playoffs. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I'll take Baker off your hands. Plus, you know, he'll probably pay Baker plus in the season. No one would do that after the season. But in the season, again, it's more like a redraft league during the season. So you can make forward-looking trades more easily during the season because you'll have the guy that's hot now. Um, and I don't know who that's going to be. You know, every year it's someone different, you know, who has a good year, bad year. You know, we, we make all these projections thinking that's how it's going to go. And then it it never goes the way we think it's going to go. You're like, oh, shit, look at this guy. I can't believe they benched that guy or whatever the case. So once that all happens and that starts shaking out, that's when you can make trades that um, that that suit your team's fortunes, you know, what, what you're going to become this year. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about this is the, you know, the delta in the scoring between the high end guys and the bottom end guys is massive. I mean, if you just take, you know, the finishes from the last couple years. I mean, if you look at, you know, the first quarterback spot, that's one basically quarterback one through fourteen on average, right? If you think about it that way, if you just take like the median average of that spot, it's almost forty percent higher than the QB two. So that's the reason right. why I traded up for two elite guys. Now I only have two quarterbacks. You know, I traded a lot of capital to get the two quarterbacks that I did. So if one of those guys busts or kind of regresses back to like QB two range, I'm probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. But if they both even just hit, you know, a median level at quarterback one, I'm still, you know, I think this league was 37% above replacement from QB one to QB two. So I, in theory, I'm beating every other team that's starting a traditional QB two in their QB two spot by 37% per week. Now that's, you can make up for that with, okay, maybe I'm a little bit weaker, but I have three. 
So maybe some of the gaps where Scott's only going to have one quarterback, myself, for at least two weeks this year, because I only have two starters, you're going to be able to platoon two of your three. You're also going to be able to hedge against maybe those slight disadvantages you have, like player for player, QB1, QB2, by the fact that you can play matchups between the three. So you buy back some of those points by having three starters. But if you don't have two high-end guys or you're not platooning with three or four starters, I personally, regardless of 14 teams and start 12, because there's a lot of other positions to get points from, Yeah, I just don't see a path. If you only have one starter and it's a, it's a meddling starter, I'm asking you, what's the path to get back to even matching our two situations in the next year yeah. or two? I just don't see it. It's Spencer Rattler. <laughs> That's it. But I there's mean, only one Spencer Rattler. I mean, you, yeah, I know, you're, I know. Betting on, you're betting on threading the needle, getting to a point where you're going to be in position to draft one of the quarterbacks next year. And I've seen some mock drafts that have five or six first next year. But what if you're in the 108 spot? Do you really take the QB six over the best running back or the best quarterback or the best receiver? I mean, you're just setting yourself up to where like you are going to have this dire need and I think we saw how they went off in the startup. Like nobody in this league is going to give you a break. You know what I mean? No. If you're sitting a, a spot ahead of them, you'll take a fourth quarterback, won't you? I yeah, mean, absolutely. I'll take them just because. I, I mean, yeah. I, I almost, uh, I almost regret. It. Well, of course, every startup, every draft, for that matter, you always regret some picks. And it's not like I made the wrong pick. It's I made the right pick that wasn't the exact perfect right pick. You know, I mean, there's times where you're like, oh, I can wait. And I'll and that guy'll come back around because I pick in five picks and it doesn't, or you get sniped or whatever. I mean, that's what's so fun about drafting. I mean, it's just it's imperfect. But hey, let's do this. Let's 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 shift for a second. I want to ask you uh, what your thoughts are. Speaking of quarterbacks, you know, the five quarterbacks went off the board, uh, you know, in the first round this year, and it sparks a lot of conversation. Um, you know, I, I I actually sent a tweet that was so funny. I said, someday you'll be able to tell your kids, imagine that the the Jets drafted Zach Wilson over, uh, you know, Justin Fields. Uh, and people just went and lost their minds, which I absolutely adored. I thought that was so fun. If I'd have known I could have been doing this to Jets fans this whole time, I'd have just been doing it every fucking week. Like, this was unbelievable. Like, one little tweet and these Jets fans are just, they hate me. Uh, and so I, that was a lot of fun. Let me just tell you, I'm going to do some more of that this year for sure. But, um, but in seriousness, the, all five kind of look like they might be players. Uh, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, kind of what I just talked about the last couple minutes and we've kind of gone back and forth about this league is we've hit this, we've hit this point. It's an inflection point. I think after last year's results, you know, the quarterbacks dominated leagues last year. If you had elite quarterbacks and maybe you had one or two tight ends, the specific ones, you could win leagues last year just with that. You could have just filled in the gaps, everyone else, and said, okay, I have a couple decent receivers. I can fill in running backs. But the elite quarterbacks truly rose above everybody else last year. And then, you know, not only do we have that last year, but we bring in five top 15 picks at quarterback this year. And so it's just like this perfect scenario to where, how do you value them? And I, you know, the, the thing is, is they're almost already valued at 80 to 90% of what their ceiling value is, but I don't think it's wrong. You know, we talked to real briefly about 
you know, we're in a place in the NFL now where teams don't give these quarterbacks a full rookie contract to suck. You know, if you suck after two or three years, you're gone. You're already here in the, yeah, you're already here. Well, I mean, Daniel Jones, you're already here in the rumblings. Like if this isn't it, he's not going to get five years. They're going to already be looking, you know, if they go four and 13 this year and he's as bad as he was last year, you better bet there's going to be talk of the Giants with two first round picks. Well, especially the Giants. Yeah, the Giants, they gave, they gave Daniel Jones Kadarius Tony, so he has no more excuses. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing <laughs> is there is not this, hey, he was a first-round pick, so I'm going to get, you know, he's a first-round pick, so I'm going to get a four-year leash with him. Yeah, No. And from a dynasty perspective, like I said, Daniel Jones has almost already lost his value. So yeah. you've only gotten two years out of him, really. So, I, you know, it's expensive, but I'm in the camp of, you know what, I was paying – Anywhere I could get Justin Fields, Trey Lance, I'm just drafting them. I don't care if I have five quarterbacks. I'm just taking them because I do think they have a runway of value that it's so much higher than skill players. You know, if one of those guys takes off, it's three or four X every other player in the draft. Um, And yeah, we're off to a good start with them. But I guess my concern is, do, do we just value next year's, let's say three quarterbacks go in the top 10 next year. Are they just like top 15 dynasty quarterbacks right then by default just because of mean, what we've seen this year? Like, or is it to a point where it's we're actually overpaying for these guys right away, kind of like we do with running backs? Because we know in three yeah. years, if they're not great, they're probably out. Yeah, I think that I think that you're probably right. I think that, you know, although I I don't know that we had Haskins and Daniel Jones that high when no, they it's came a, out. I think, this is a new thing. This is this year. Definitely this yeah. year. Let me ask you this question because th- th- this is an interesting question. I don't know. Um, wh- how did you have these five guys ranked? And, and maybe you can speak to the two ways that I ranked them in my head, which is one is for fantasy value and two is for like the, the, the percentage chance that they'll succeed in the NFL. Like Mac Jones is probably, I don't know, close to first in the second but, you know, like I think he's going to be really good in the NFL. I just don't know that he's necessarily going to be a great fantasy quarterback. Does that make sense? Whereas Trey Lance, I'm not sure if he's going to be good or not. But if he is, I have to value him super high because of just how high the ceiling is with his with, with his skill set. Does that make sense? Yep. No, I had um, I, I had Lawrence, Lance, Fields, the top three players in the draft. I mean, I ended up with 10 shares of both Lance and Fields just because they were falling all over the map. You get in some drafts yeah. where you have the 105 and, you know, a Najee Harris and a Kyle Pitts goes ahead. And it's like, okay, I'll take Justin Fields. Even five, three auto quarterbacks. Pick. I'm with you 100%. Them. Auto yeah. pick. I was the same way. Lance and Fields auto pick with you as well. Yep. And even Zach Wilson. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he's a little riskier. He's obviously on the Jets. But I do think, you know, given what we know, he's probably going to get a little bit of a runway to, you know, maybe he busts, but I feel confident. I have eight shares of Zach Wilson, me too. So I'm kind of like, okay, there's going to be a point where I may take a loss on Zach Wilson on the eight shares. If he, if he is the next Daniel Jones or the next Mitchell Trubisky, or, you know, even if he's just the next Sam Darnold, where it's like he keeps his value for a couple of years because people don't trust the fact that he's a jet. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get out. I'm going to be able to get free information over the next year or two. Even if I take a little bit of a loss, it's not going to be a complete loss. So I'm confident in taking him where, you know, we're at a place in dynasty. Now, if you, if you're a receiver and you don't produce year one, like 
the Dynasty community is done with you. I mean, you may yeah. have some value, but you're never really going to be able to get out at the price that you paid unless you produce for like every bust year, you got to produce like two more years on top of that to get back to the value that people were taking you at. So I just see the quarterbacks as a lot safer too. So I got a lot of Zach Wilson and uh, a lot of Mac Jones for that reason, just because they're, you know, and a lot of these leagues, man, like I go through rosters out of 12 teams. There is inevitably, there was one or two or three teams where it's like, okay, your quarterbacks were Phillip Rivers and Jimmy Garoppolo. What are you going to do? You know, and I don't know how many times I've seen those teams that were maybe sitting at like the 106 and it's like, they're not, they're not aggressively trading up to try to get Trey Lance or Justin Fields. You know, they're just sitting there and I'm just like, you know, I'll take the quarterback and now I hold so much leverage over you that what, what are you going to do? And I just, I, I saw teams that were poor at quarterback and they didn't, I think this was a golden opportunity year to fix your quarterback room. And if you didn't do it, uh, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Yep. Yep. That's on you. I totally agree. I mean, you know, uh, there was a league, I fixed a team with Gemma, the icon and, you know, we ended up with Lawrence and fields and it's just like fixed. You're actually probably feeling, you know? let me ask you this. You actually feel you could contend in that league. Those two guys yes. could be top 15 guys this year. I mean, it's not yep. out of the range. So it's, that's the other thing is I look at my teams with Lance and fields and it's like, I'm just as confident as if I had, Matthew Stafford and Ryan Tannehill. Like, I, exactly. I, I don't feel like I'm going to have to wait a year. And that's the other right. thing. Yeah. In that league, we also have Ryan Tannehill. So we're feeling really good. We've got a, a stable player to play with either Fields or probably Lawrence from the beginning, oh, yeah. you know? And it's just like off you go. You know, we've got a, we've got a super flex fix. And it's like you say, you know, when you get those quarterbacks, I mean, obviously, if they don't pan out, that's one thing. But, you know, if you're sitting on a guy like, you know, how, how, um, you know, if you can sit on a 15-year career is what I guess I'm getting at, you know, whichever quarterback it is, you know, Brady all of these years. I mean, imagine just having Brady his whole career, you know, whatever. Like, you know, it's a stability factor, too, if you can get the right guy. Uh, back to Zach Wilson, I've got some shares of Zach Wilson, too. And uh, Zach Wilson, you know, the one thing that I like about Zach Wilson is he's not getting benched. Like, he's the starter in New York, period, end of conversation, for better or for worse. He's got some elite traits, and we'll have to see, see if he can handle the speed and physicality of the NFL game. He never got touched in college. He had the best offensive line that, that you know, uh, certainly way better than the defensive fronts he was facing. They dominated for him. He had plenty of time to throw. Um, he didn't face any sort of, um, you know, defenses that were a, a, of any caliber whatsoever. And I think the the, the NFL game is going to change uh, pretty decidedly from what he's faced in the past. Um, I'm not saying he can't do it. He just hasn't done it. It's a little bit of that same thing for Lance. There's some questions there. Like, here he comes. He hasn't played in, like, I think they said he played one game in the last 581 days. It's like, wow, that's pretty crazy, you know. Um, he is a, a supernova in terms of talent. But, again, you know, it, all that's nonsense unless you can process the information, make great decisions, and not make big mistakes on the field and move your team down the field. I mean, you can be all the, all kinds of fancy you want, but you got to get it done. And those two guys are, are pretty interesting for me. I think uh, for me, I had Fields at number two, both in real life. The main reason I had him at number two in fantasy was because I had him number two in real life. Like, I just felt so good about Lawrence and Fields. And actually, the whole idea of him slipping started to make me wonder if I'm crazy um, or just not seeing it right, but, and maybe I'm not, you know, but I'm still ready to be wrong on this, on this one, but I feel like it's still Lawrence and Fields, uh, one, a one B and then Trey Lance has to be right there. And then 
for me, it's the other two guys. You know, I think the Zach Wilson has the higher ceiling, lower floor. Mac Jones is sort of the that that perfect late first round uh, super flex quarterback where you you know you're just adding another starter to your team and and, and holding on to that value for a long period of time. I think all five could actually pan out, which is crazy because we've never really seen that. You know, every draft we see, you know, whether it's the Rosen, Darnold, Lamar, Baker draft, uh, Josh Allen, right? You know, we we were all sure that someone would. Sure enough, it's Rosen just absolutely busts out. So someone likely will bust out, but right now it doesn't doesn't appear as any of them. But uh, we'll see, eh? Yeah, and I think I mean you kind of hit the nail on the head. I was thinking Zach Wilson could be anything between Daniel Jones and Justin Herbert. I think his range of outcomes are super wide. But yes, I think the other thing is, like I said before, you're you're not taking a major loss on someone like Zach Wilson either. There could right. be. You know, maybe I see eight games into the season and I go, okay, I can probably still cash out for a future first if I wanted. And I can make that decision consciously. With the eight teams I have him on, if I go, eh, you know, I'm just not super confident carrying him on that many rosters, maybe I'll cash out on one or two or add him in a deal to try to upgrade somewhere. I mean, but you have some time. You don't have to make that decision right now where – you know, if you get one of these receivers or even, even a running back, I mean, a running back that doesn't really take the job by the horns right away, or at some point in their rookie year, it, you know, the value is going to drop and whether you believe in that player or not, that's where we're at. I mean, we value these rookie receivers for their profiles. We already assume that they're going to hit right away. And when they don't, you know, I know there's other people, uh, DF Bean counters the the guy that I, I think of most when he talks about the face planners and whether that's fair or not from a real football perspective, you know, if a rookie receiver goes out and only gets 400 yards and is the wide receiver three or four on his team that he just is, he basically just falls into Jag range. He's just another receiver. He's not, you know, he's not a top 12 receiver. He's probably just a wide receiver, three wide receiver, four. He's good. Doesn't mean he can't have a good career, but those grow on trees. It's a real flat tier in there. So that's not really, if I can help it, what I want to use my draft picks on. I want to use my draft picks on running backs that can help me right away and quarterbacks. And quarterbacks give me a little bit of insulation, even if the guy starts to kind of fall backwards. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, the whole idea of for me in those rookie drafts is definitely quarterbacks and running backs. I mean, really, I'm always looking for the running backs first and foremost, just to see if there's any, you know, I mean, the access to the access point to a guy like Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley are usually in the draft. I mean, yeah, of course you can trade for them, but they're at the top of the draft for a reason. That's where they come out. Like, you know, you you seldom see an elite, dominant, super dominant uh, running back come out of a third round rookie pick or whatever. You know, it it happens here and there, but they're so few and far between. They're almost always top half of the first round picks like they're so clear to the world like when Saquon came out it wasn't like well maybe he's gonna be good we we're like no dude is dope just fucking look at him and so those types of players uh have a very uh that's the cheapest they'll ever be <laughs> is to just hit the button with a single pick same thing with those elite quarterbacks go ahead and try and trade you know one single pick for any top 15 quarterback in a super flex league never gonna happen you just can't do it that's not the access point you have to trade multiple first. I, I think I've seen, you know, I think I've heard you talk about it too with Mahomes. It's like, how many picks would you give up to get Mahomes? Like future, like I'll give you all my first round picks. Just give me Mahomes. You know, it's like, 
so those those costs in those startups tend to be where you can find quarterbacks and running backs, whereas wide receivers, you know, even the very best wide receivers, oftentimes, like you said, a Sutton for a first, you can do it. You can find those trades. Um, so I, I tend to agree with you 100%. Yeah, I mean, in the last point, I was just having a discussion with somebody the other day, and I go, you know, look across all your leagues, and this is a guy that's even more degenerate than me. I mean, he's in 81 leagues, and I go, how many of your leagues did, have you seen, you know, Kyler Murray on the trade block or Josh Allen on the trade block? And it's like the, the teams that have those guys, they just don't trade them. And I kind of look at it and go, you know, if I have Mahomes or Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray, and it's like they're, they're the only type of trade that I would even consider to move one of those guys is probably pivoting within that same tier. You know, I want one of those guys back. I want Lawrence back or Burrow back. Like I have to get somebody that's within that, you know, first or second tier. And typically those are not the best trade partners in leagues because, you know, you have Fields and Lawrence in a league. Okay, okay I'm, you're probably not chasing Dak Prescott. You're going, okay, right. there's no reason for me to spend my extra capital to move from Trevor Lawrence to Dak Prescott. You know, I, I feel okay with where I'm sitting. So, you know, I look across my leagues and I go, you know, people just don't trade these guys. You, rarely do you see the, you know, Dak Prescott for three firsts or Dak Prescott for a running back and a receiver. Like those deals just don't come forth. And, I, you know, I can't blame them. If I have those guys, I just don't trade them. The only way I trade them is if literally, you know, I'm getting like someone asked me the other day, would you trade uh, Kyler Murray for Justin Fields in a 2023 first? And I go, you know what? I, I could see the argument if you really believe in fields. That's one where that could give you extreme leverage. You know what I mean? If he's 90% of what, what Kyler is, you've won that deal You know, because you have that valuable pick. But even that deal is kind of hard to decide. But that's really the only type of deal I'm even interested in moving the quarterbacks for. I just – I can't see a time that I even move them. And if I get stuck with them, then fine. But, you know, I, I just don't trade them. So yeah. the fact that you don't see them move that much mm-hmm. tells you that – you know, it isn't easy to go buy one of those guys. So it's easy to find running backs. It's really easy to go buy Dalvin Cook right now. I don't want to because he's too expensive compared to what I'm getting. But I bet you there's in in my portfolio of leagues, I bet you there's leagues where I can get him. I just don't want to pay the price. But he's attainable. You know what I mean? Patrick Mahomes isn't attainable in most leagues. He's just not. Right. They're just not going to move him. So that's something Speak, to think about. Too. That, what do you th- what do you think about this trade? I I, I told I've mentioned it. Uh, on the pot a couple of times, but you just got me curious now what, what you think of it. I'm in that short, uh, shallow league. It's actually a really shallow bench too. I don't even remember. There's hardly any bench. Um, it's start two running back, start two receiver, start a tight end, start two flex, but super tight end premium. And I have good tight ends. So they fill the flexes and a super flex. So I've, uh, you know, so it's really shallow. I traded, uh, Baker Mayfield, Elijah Moore, uh, Jalen Rager and my 22 first for Lamar Jackson feels like a steal, right? Yeah. I think the shallow part really, uh, really kind of nails it home where, you know, those receivers are nice, you know, Jalen Rager probably worth a second at this point, Elijah Moore, maybe you can get a first for him, but you know, at what, at what point are you looking to consolidate if you had all those picks? You know what I mean? If you had four firsts and they're all at the back half of the first round, you're going, okay, how do I turn this into two studs? you know, given the right. format. So I, I can't yeah. argue with it because you may not. Uh, I think the other thing is how many other teams, if you went down the line of the top eight quarterbacks, how many other teams were even willing to do a four for one? Right. That might've been your exactly. only trade partner. So that, that almost tells me, Hey, I just take it. Cause there's nobody else that's even willing to be interested in this design of deal. 
Bingo. That's exactly right. <clears throat> and and it now gives me, I think I've got um in that league now, it's like uh Dak, Hertz, Lamar, and Fields or something like that. It's pretty dope. So, you know, it look, you know, I'm just trying to stack them up. I didn't need Baker, right? You know, so I uh, Baker represented an opportunity to get a better player at that position. And I've used Elijah Moore in a couple of trades. I did use Elijah Moore to get Dalvin Cook because I felt like I feel like Elijah Moore right now is the hotness. Like you can't touch him. And so if you include him in a deal, he becomes this thing where a guy goes, dude, I can get Elijah Moore? And he's never done anything in the league. I'm not saying he won't do anything in the league, but there's still a chance that he's just sort of a good player. Like, <laughs> he could be fine. Like, what if he's Christian Kirk? I'm, I don't know. Like, that's not out of the question anymore. It's not like, oh, no, he's not. He's better than that. We don't know, actually. Like, he could be dope. He could be Antonio Brown, but he could be Christian Kirk, Right. No, I think all the data on some of these rookies, I mean, this was a really good receiver class. And I think you can argue that all of the top seven guys, you know, Chase and then the other tier of six, Smith, Waddle, Bateman, Moore, Moore, and Marshall. I think all of those guys were pretty good at kind of pegging those guys as being solid NFL players. But what what is the evaluation point that takes them from being Juju up to Devontae Adams? You know, what what is the skill set? Is it... Is it skill set? I think there's plenty of guys that are wide receiver twos or threes in Dynasty that if you threw them into Devontae Adams' situation as a second or third year player, they might have been able to develop into that with Aaron Rodgers. But not every guy ever gets an opportunity to be with a super efficient quarterback where they still get 160 plus targets. That's just not how a lot of teams do business. So I think we're we don't have a good we have a really good way of saying okay based on this guy's production profile and his age and his draft capital he's probably going to be a solid NFL receiver you know a wide receiver 2 wide receiver 3 that's valuable but we don't have a good way to quantify this dude's going to take the next step and then the next step and he's going to dominate for 6 years so those are typically bad bets like once they reach that point you really have to examine is their value just is it hype I mean, Juju, DJ Moore, Chris Godwin, all these guys took that meteoric rise up to like top five receivers. And it's, you'd agree, all three of those guys are damn good receivers, right? Yes. But are they difference makers? Are they, I need them on my team. I'm willing to add a first to somebody else to get one of those guys. No, they're, they're interchangeable. You could trade one away for another receiver in the same tier and go, okay, I'm good. I'm fine. So we, we learn our lesson. You know, these guys don't, they rise up because of hype or because of age, but then they kind of fall back into, you know, the range where those three guys are now, which is great to have them. They're just not necessarily winning your league for you. That's right. I mean, are we sure that Elijah Moore is better than Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster or anybody, you know, like we just don't know. And, no. and, you know, I think that a lot if of people anything, right the now, odds that he exceeds those guys is so low that correct. if you can trade him, for, you know, basically, I guess I look at it as if you can trade Elijah Moore for a first plus, even if it's like a third, like you're, you're probably, that's a, probably a smart bet because truthfully that first is probably better off kick to the future where maybe I'm in a perfect spot to draft the quarterback or draft the running back. That's how I'm looking at draft picks going, man, if I have to take Elijah Moore, then I'll take him. But truthfully, I wish I could turn that into a better pick where now I'm taking the QB2 (laughs) in a class. That's what gives me the real leverage. Love that. I love that because that's so true and it's not the way that people see the game. And I'm 100% with you. Like, you know, I'm not saying that I don't like Elijah Moore. That's the opposite of what we're saying. We're just saying that, you know, the game theory behind it is 
we're never sure. You know, you never know exactly what it'll be. And, you know, right now, I'm, it's the opposite of buying the dip. It's like the, there's like this sort of crescendo he's hitting and he's yet to play. And, you know, we've heard the news about Denzel Mims and, I, you know, you might have seen that I did draft him in, in, the, uh, in the league. And I just think that's buying the dip there too. Like, why are we so out on Denzel Mims? Like, he could be zero. I get that. I, I totally get that he could be out. But, you know, they said he had the, the bad fish. He ate some bad salmon. Poor son of a bitch was like, you know, he lost like 20 pounds. He was, you know, shitting himself and throwing up on himself for two weeks straight. Uh, needless to say, he wasn't the WR1 for the Jets during that time. Like, there could be some other issues with him, but that's a pretty good excuse for not playing very well in the in the OTAs. We'll have to see if he regains his strength and if he regains his position on the field. But guy was a second-round pick, alpha skill set, speed, athleticism, uh, production, air yards in, in, as a rookie. I mean, he, he was good. And so the likelihood that he's just an absolute garbage bust is actually fairly low. You know, if, he's probably closer to Corey Davis than anything else. And uh, we'll see if he can, you know, even hit a Devontae Parker, Corey Davis uh, type of breakout, if you will. Yeah, he's a tough one for me because, I mean, if you look at, you know, we can start painting pictures as to why some of these rookies didn't perform in, in their first year. You know, were they hurt? Was it their situation? You know, I, I guess Mims is an interesting one because you bring up Corey Davis. Corey Davis is a guy that if he came into Dynasty today, uh, we would just absolutely shit on his profile. You know, he was a 23-year-old senior receiver that wasn't an early declare, didn't play Small at a Power school. 5 conference. So it's like if he came in today, we would punish him to where he would never be considered a first-round dynasty pick. Now, with what we know now versus what we know four years ago, you know, that that's an interesting thing. If you, if you just plopped him into like the last three rec- receiver classes and you just put profile side by side, you'd be going, oh, I don't want this guy. So – yeah, I think that we can learn from that. But I think if the, th- the move with a guy like Mims is he wasn't an early declare. That already hurts him. Then he didn't really hit as a rookie. Whether it was Sam Darnold, it was injuries, whatever. Like he had some good peripheral numbers, but his production, he didn't hit as a rookie. So that's two checks against him. But I'm with you. Like I, I was out on him before this year or before this offseason even for those two things alone. I would have sold him for any second, any second. I, w- I don't care what year, but now it's like he's so buried that he's going for, I've seen him traded for thirds. You know what I mean? And that's where I'm like, okay, maybe I can get some profit back. Cause you know what? There might be a guy like Jackson, my league that if he goes out and he does okay, the second half of this year, you may pay a second for him. So I, I do think there's some profit to be had, but you got to wait till the right time. You know, if he's in this range where, you know, I see people buying Brian Edwards for a second. I'm just like, no, that, that, that. if you, if you roll that dice a hundred times, you, you make that trade 75 out of hundred, you're going to come out on top. If you just take the pick, you may lose 25, but who cares about the player? You, you have to kind of apply it to a larger scale. So that's kind of how I look at those receivers. Yeah, that, <clears throat> excuse me. That's fair. Um, I, I, I do think that look, Denzel Mims didn't play. He was on IR for the first six weeks. Yep. You know, he, he, he saw seven, eight, seven, eight uh, targets. So he saw more than seven targets, you know, or seven or more targets in four of the eight games he played. Um, I, I just thought he was maybe a little bit better than you're giving him credit for. But, um, you know, he, he wasn't outstanding, but he was also playing for a bad team. He was heavily targeted in, in, uh, for a team that, 
that wasn't playing very good and was literally tanking for the first pick and um, you know somehow won won a game uh, to get to to fuck that up too. God bless the Jets. But um, you know, well, I, let me add let me add this real quick yeah. just to your point because when, when we're talking about some of this data is. You know, you just basically laid out your your reasoning for Denzel Mims, like why he wasn't, why his value shouldn't have tanked as much as it did, or why his perception shouldn't have been as low as it is. My, now, my pushback would be, I understand that. I think everybody that's supporting a certain player could come to the table with the specific nuances and say, okay, this is why this explains why this happened or this happened. I'm looking at it from like, if you take every Denzel Mims from the last 20 years, I don't care if he got hurt. I don't care if his quarterback sucked. He didn't produce periods. Even if he blew out an Achilles, you still hold the year one against him. He didn't produce because we're looking at everything just on a super large scale, right? At the same time though, we're kind of going down that road this year with guys that have elite profiles like Rashad Bateman. What if he misses eight weeks? Guess what? You throw him in that sample size, you're going to go, he was a bust. Right. Because he's probably not going to put up the totals that you're looking for. So he's going to need a really, really thin needle to thread the second half of the year. He's going to have to go out as soon as he comes off, you know, wherever his injury brings him back. He's going to kind of have to hit from that point on. He cannot have this lull period where he gets six Mm -hmm. games to get back into the mix. Otherwise, he's going to have a season where he only posts, what, 100 PPR points? And you just put that profile up next year and you're going to go, damn. He's one of the best analytical profiles we've seen, but he busted year one. And you're going to hear the, oh, well, he was hurt. And, oh, you know, he didn't get started until week six, you know? And it's like, where do you draw the line? Because my idea would be, I love Rashad Bateman, but you know what? If he does that and he only produces for half a year, he's a bust. I mean, he's going to lose value. So this is going to be interesting because we already have some receivers this year that are starting off bad and they're going to, they're going to buck that trend with the analytics, I guess is my point. No, you're you're right on the money. Like if you look at Jalen Rager, <clears throat> um, Brian Edwards, Denzel Mims, yep. these, all these guys are better to bet against than bet for. I 100% agree with you. But someone's going to break out, and and when I say break out, I mean you know in that league too, it's like um, it's less of an upside pick and more of a floor pick, even like because I mean even if he if he returns sort of middle value, if he's sort of a you know a a, a team's if, as long as he's a starter, I mean, as long as he ends up playing, usable. like if it's, yep. yeah, if he's usable, <clears throat> excuse me, he's worth it in that league. Like, you know, he's also probably a little bit of a dice roll upside play too. But, you know, I mean, at some point I'm just thinking, you know, this guy saw targets. He commanded targets as soon as he played. Um, you know, now he was on a bad team. I There's a lot there. Like, you know, but uh, I'm with you. In general, bet against Jalen Rager, bet against Brian Edwards, bet against Denzel Mims. Bet against you know Nikhil Harry after his rookie year. Bet against Nikhil Harry right now. That's true. But also when you're in a startup and you're looking for an opportunity, you know you should have been betting against uh, Devonte Adams too after a year or two because he did not look like he was going to be who he is now. So you know sometimes those guys do find their way and do you know break through. I mean even Corey Davis and Devonte Parker to lesser degrees found a way to break through a little bit. Um, you know, I think Jordan Matthews is going to do this for the for the San Francisco 49ers as a tight end. What? No, wait. Hold on. Wait. No, joking. Um, but, um, you know, uh, those guys do find a way sometimes. And, and that's why you're just looking for lightning in a bottle, especially given the draft round with which they're, you're buying. Look, if I can buy Denzel Mims for a third, what's a third? Like, honestly, in most leagues, like, 
A third is generally nothing, like generally. Now, granted, everybody will say, well, Claypool was drafted in the third. I, I get that. But, you know, you were probably drafting, you know, a, a, a shit bag in that in that round generally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, at the end of the day, if it's if it's a, an opportunity to swing for the fences with Brian, Brian Edwards, I actually feel better about Brian Edwards going forward than I do Denzel Mims. What about you? Well, I think one thing that you're right about is if you can find a price point to buy back into those guys because they had, you know, a, I don't want to say a cult following, but they had their truthers last year, right? So that's not a bad asset. If they do bounce back, you're probably going to have some liquidity in one of those receivers that you're going to be able to flip. You know, it isn't like you're going to have to continue to prove with their play on the field. You know, you, if Mims comes back and bounces back, let's just say he posts a top 36 season somehow. Yeah. There's going to be someone that's going to be a liquid asset, right? That you're going to yeah. be able to at least get out on for at least what you paid, if not more. So that is one of the positives about kind of buying back into these big names. I just prefer to actually do it a little bit later. I don't like to do it in year two. I'd rather sell them at year two where they're still getting, I mean, the, the Jalen Rager highlight catch from today. Like I've seen people talking about, Hey, I'd pay a first for Jalen Rager still like after today. Cause he made that catch today on Twitter. And it's like, I'd rather sell now, and if I really believe in the player, I'll find another place to buy back. You know, I'll I'll buy back into Nikhil Harry right now for a third, potentially, depending on the format. You know, I'd rather do that than buy last year for a second, if that makes sense. Right. So I, I think it's just it's really just playing the market game, and I I just don't think year two on a guy that didn't hit in year one is the best time to be buying. I'd rather actually wait till year three, because really that the difference between them breaking out in year two or year three. You know, you're going to get a much better deal on it in year three because you've had two years of disappointment. Maybe, but then, we, but then we see Mecole Hardman. Mecole Hardman He's is coming super back to expensive. life again. Yeah, super expensive, and I'd rather have. I think I'd rather have Denzel Mims and Brian Edwards. And well, I don't know about Denzel Mims; it's close, but certainly Brian Edwards over over Mecole Hardman in Dynasty for me. That's an easy one. Yet Mecole is getting. All kinds of love in best ball and uh, and I would assume in dynasty as well. If everybody loves him this much in best ball, yet he goes out and was not playing uh, in two wide receiver sets. Played in three wide receiver sets. Did not look good for the Chiefs. Granted, small sample size, but I don't know. I'm 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 out on this Mecole Hardman idea of him being a solid, you know, uh, wide receiver two or three uh, this year. What say you, Mister Connor? I think the leverage move on a guy like me, Cole Hardman, is go and find another receiver that's worth less. You think you can probably get a second for Hardman, don't you think? I would think so, although I've sold every Mikkel Hardman opportunity I have for a second or more in, in the past. So you're saying take Mikkel and do, do what with him? Well, I'm saying, I mean, if you think you can get a second, maybe target a 2023 second and go to the team that has Nikhil Harry or has the has Denzel Mims and see if you can get one of those guys thrown in. And, you know, that might be a tough deal to swing, but I think you're, like you said, it's probably a 50-50 bet of Hardman versus those two guys, and you basically just got a free pick. You know, you're you're essentially capitalizing on what the market says today to where – would you be shocked if in six weeks Denzel Mims has more value than Nicole Hardman? Would that, no, would that blow all. you away? That's in range of outcomes, probably what, 40%, 30%? I mean, that's that's legit fighting odds, right? You'd say that that yes. could happen? 
Yes. So why wouldn't you swap the two given that what are the odds that either of them reach a range within one year that are like, okay, top 24 receiver in value? Probably neither of them are going to get to a range where they're difference makers. So why not take the, you know, well, why not take the two for one where you're essentially getting the, you're getting insurance on swapping those two guys, right? Why not take the insurance? You make two or three deals like that. All it takes is you win one of those deals and you break even. Maybe you lose one, you win one, but you still picked up two seconds and you won one of the deals with swapping the receivers. I mean, that's a, that's a major win across the big portfolio. So I love that. I love that buying Mims in that type of deal for sure. You know, I love it because you, you know, you're talking just like, uh, Mike Lou does. And, and I, I had a, uh, listener league and, you know, it's kind of fun. I'm sure you do the same thing with your patrons is when you have a little bit more sort of, you know, private time with with people you can actually have better conversations and i was having a conversation with a guy during the startup and you know he offered me uh, a, a trade to move up and then i or i offered him he said hey i might want to move up so i sent him a trade and he thought better of it and he was like i better not and i was like good move you know we got to talking because i was like i wasn't yeah. gonna, i wouldn't really tell someone that in a big money league or something but in in a listener league like you know, dude wants to play with me. I figured I'd be candid with him and kind of tell him what I thought about what he was doing in that moment. And, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. We got back and forth. We start talking about what he was thinking about doing. And, and sometimes it's just like, I, the one thing I told him was just never seed value, you know, like just don't give away value. Make sure that if you're giving value up, you're getting value back. Like, you know, even if you lose a trade, at least make sure you you bought the best player in the deal. Uh, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna make a trade during a startup, just make sure you're you're getting value. Those are the points where you can't give it up. Like you said, if you know, if you trade the future first, your second rounder, just to go get this one guy in the first round, if he busts, you're you just lost all your, you know, you're 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 dead in the water because you gave up too much value to get there. It's not that the player is bad. It's not a player eval question. It's a it's a never seed value. And and right there, you're talking about making these trades where you're giving up the guy who's a little bit higher in rank, you know, and taking a, a shot on a guy that's much lower, but actually getting value because we see those guys as more in the same tier as we do in different tiers. And, and I just think that's brilliant. And, and of course that's really the way that you win in dynasty is by making a lot of those types of deals over and over. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I know that when you send me stuff like that now in this league, I mean, you know, we sort of see through each other, but that's kind of the fun about uh, playing in a league with a lot of people who it's kind of just, it, there's just a lot of heavy movement. You know, you can't, it's a, it's a big lift to make a, a, a deal where you are, are getting a lot of value back. Uh, I made a trade with Justin Boone in that league and we went back and forth. I can't tell you, Scott, it was unbelievable. It was my, it was the, the pick I traded to give him Trey Lance and, you know, Dynasty Game 3, 101 right here. I mean, I kept making offers to him. He kept countering, counter, counter. We would DM a little bit. I just don't see this or that counter, counter. I'm like, man, we're nowhere near. A couple times he would say, uh, I guess then just make your pick, man. And I was like, no, no, it means a lot to me. About, boom, boom. And I'd say, I'm not sure if we're there. And he'd be like, that's fine. You know, there was this whole thing. And the point I'm making by telling that story was Justin's a hell of a player and and he was just making sure that he didn't give up the value to make the play. He wanted to move up to get the play, but he didn't want to give up too much value in doing so and didn't wasn't married to it. Like, you know, the, you play poker, I know. What's the worst reason to call a bet is, ah, oh, fuck it. 
right? That's the worst reason. And that's the worst reason to make a trade in, in fantasy. Anytime you hear someone say that, you know, especially in like in poker, you know, you, you, they're fucking cooked. Um, and it's the same thing in, in dynasty when you can make someone kind of just be like, ah, fuck it. I'll just do it. Let's do it. That's you got them. Absolutely. I think you, uh, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, your dino game theory, and even some of the greatest, and this is no shade against anybody specifically, but there are a ton of great minds in fantasy, but I still constantly see them reverting back to not the game theory, not the value, but the reason for making the trade is, okay, I know more than you. I can yeah. predict players better than you. I know this offense is going to do this. I know it's going to happen, so I'm confident in giving up that two assets for one to pick my guy. And I just sit there and go, you know what? I mean, it helps that I'm in a lot of leagues, but I can just sit there and go, you know what? I don't have a guy. I mean, I have players that I prefer, but if you're going to give me an example of that, where it's like, I see two receivers where their ranges of outcomes are not that different to where neither of them is probably going to impact whether my win rate on this team is going to be any higher or lower. I don't care the names. I don't care the offenses. I don't care the situations. I don't care their profile. What I care about is, am I getting that extra piece? You know, am I getting that extra pick? And that's the difference. And you can tell when you do a startup with really sharp guys like this. I mean, we're, there's there's heavier hitters than you and I in this draft that have been doing this for, for sure. decades. And they have much bigger platforms than we do. But I still see some of the picks and some of the moves that they make. And I go... You know what? They're just they're just drafting the players they like. They're drafting what their projections say are gonna, you know, do better this year, or do better in the future. And I that's just not how I play. You know, every move I make is typically a process move. It is very, very rarely really the only time I make player moves is when I go, okay, I, I kind of like this guy. I don't have enough shares of them, so I'm gonna maybe go buy one. I'll sacrifice a little bit, but that's because I want to get an extra share. That's that is kind of like me doing the screw it. You know what I mean? I'll just, I'll just take, I want to do it because that's what I want. Uh, but typically those aren't good. So it, it's interesting in a league like this, there's a few guys that are really sharp, but I can just tell by the way they're building their team. It's like, they're just getting their guys. You know what I mean? They aren't leveraging the value. They aren't building the way where it's going to create a ton of flexibility and a ton of assets for them going forward. Well, you know, you said something about when you want a player. I, I so I've, I've surmised this and I've said it very, very simply that, in, in times of accelerated trade volume, right, i.e. a startup. I mean, there's a ton of trades during a startup, right? right? You know, um, during the, you know, the maybe the lead up to a rookie draft or whatever. Just when you're making volume trades, I've always said you need to win those. Not by a lot, but by some measure where you're, like you say, extracting that extra second or the third or the whatever. Some sort of perceived value on your end where you get the throw in of the extra thing or you get to move the, you know, a couple of dead pieces off your roster for a modicum of value in return. Like all of these volume trades, you have to win by, like I said, even if it's a tenth, you know, 10% win, you make, you know, 10 of those trades. Now you've got a, a you know, a, a dime. Now you've got a dollar, right? So, um, but when you're buying a player, if you're going to go get Patrick Mahomes or you're going to go get Christian McCaffrey, you're going to go get CD Lamb, you need to pay. You need to pay. You need to be ready to – if you're purchasing something, you need to bring your fucking credit card. You know what I mean? You need – you're buying CD Lamb. You're going to have to 
You're going to have to pay. And when you're selling, you need to get paid. You know, don't settle for, well, he's my only good player. I guess I'll just take this off. No, no. You demand a fair price for that player when you're selling. And you have to be expecting to pay a full price when you're going to get the best player in a deal. Otherwise, those volume trades are where you need to just extract value in small increments so that your team has long-term value gained. Well, and I love how you gave that example. You know, the one time where I will kind of make the impulsive, abandon some of my value principle deals is during the season because there's points being scored and I know what I'm buying. It's kind of like, yep, I'm on vacation. I really want a pizza. I'm going to go get it because I'm hungry. I know it might not be the healthiest thing. You know, it may not be the best for my digestive system, but you know what? I want it and I'm going to go buy it and I'm accepting the potential value loss by, you know, buying this player during the season, knowing that I might only get a couple weeks out of him, and then I know the value is going to fall off a cliff once we get to January. But that's the one time where I'm like, I know what I'm buying. I'm buying it for a very specific reason. I'll pay the price because I don't really have to forecast. You know, if I buy Latavius Murray for a second rounder during the season, I probably know I can start him like four times. And that's what I'm buying. You know what I mean? I'm buying those points. I'm buying it right now. There isn't a whole lot of forecasting or projecting or guessing that I have to do. And that, honestly, Jax, that's my biggest weakness in Dynasty is I can get so obsessed with the value game, the stock game, the portfolio game. I have teams that are sitting on, you know, 15 draft picks and we'll get to the year and it's like, dude, if you just give up three of those bad boys, you can maybe win the championship, you know, and you're two games out of being the first, first place team. And I still struggle to pull the trigger on those moves, even when everything's right in front of me. Yeah, I know exactly what I'm getting, and I still am like, eh, I don't feel too good about that. So I, I do think there is a place in time to kind of splurge, but it's not 12 months a year. You know what I mean? It's like no, I agree. eight to 12 yeah. weeks during the year, the critical times where literally what you're buying could be not only points, but wins, playoff berths. I mean, that's where I want to spend and take more risk. Uh, taking risk in like May or June or July when everything's just a guess, uh, that's typically bad process. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, if you're sitting on 15 draft picks, you definitely want to be able to utilize them to move and, and create uh, a team that can win. I, I think, I mean, and yep. like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a package guy. I feel like that's the best way to get a deal done is, is, you know, I throw in one of those, you know, like if I have a ton of first, I usually, first of all, I'll sell mine first because I'm going to improve my team. Maybe I have three picks next year, three picks in 2023. I might give up my 22 first, my 23 first. And like, if I have that many picks, maybe I'll just give up. Like I, I sent this trade the other day where it was like my 22 first, second, and third, my 23 first, second, and third, and still left me with a bunch of picks. But it was just like this major, you know, like it looked like so much, like I'm giving you all of my draft picks. And then I had some players, of course I was targeting like Saquon and Fields or whatever, but point of the matter is that, it sort of looked like a whole lot more than it is, right? Because it's like all of my draft, even though I'm not really all my draft because I have all these other picks. But, you know, so sometimes, you, yeah, you just want to like, you know, use that capital. And then sometimes if they say no, you're like, that's fine too because I still have the capital, you know? So, but yeah, I do, I do test the waters and I try and, you know, sometimes when I'm doing that, if I'm not really looking to buy, I'll just sort of see if someone will um, misvalue their, 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 uh, stuff, especially if I can, I try and do con- convoluted trades too. Like just a lot of stuff on both sides where, you know, I've done the calculations and it's probably a, you know, a 
120% to 80% type of thing. You know what I mean? Like where I'm winning, but it's not unfair. It's just, I know that's a better value for me. And yet somehow there's a lot of good pieces going the other way where the guy's going to look and go, yeah, that's fucking cool. I think, right. Yeah. Click, let's do it. You know what I mean? So there, there's a lot of that I try to do. Um, and and like I said, I'm not trying to take advantage of anybody, but I'm definitely trying to, you know, scrape the value off the trade if I can. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think this is, uh, this is kind of getting to the, the times of the year where you do have to adjust your behaviors a little bit because, you know, there is a time and place to just grind, you know what I mean? And win those trades where you're getting a dollar five for every $1. And you just accumulate, accumulate, accumulate and take advantage of, you know, one of the best things to do is in the off season, take advantage of the people that go, you know what, it's June 15th and this dude's blowing up in OTAs. And I just have a feeling he's going to be a wide receiver three this year. So I'll give you a second and I go, well, okay, you know, I'll do it strictly because that's a 50, 50 bet that he's going to return that. Now, if he's doing it in week four, He's probably worth the second because he's doing it. I already have information that's saying he's doing it, but really everything you're saying is it's a projection. So I'm always willing to take, give me the fluid, flexible draft capital in those off season periods. And it's, it's all about the timing. So yeah, I mean, that's a great, uh, and let's be real. It helps when you're in a lot of leagues, you can take one team in this direction. You can take one team in another direction. I mean, Listen, I've built 60 teams up over four, five, six years, and it's like I'm probably going to end up winning maybe you know 10 to 20 of those leagues and not winning 40 to 50 of them. Right. So it's it's, it's almost kind of like if you build them right with the right process, things are going to fall in place. You know what I mean? It may not be the one you think you're going to win. You may win another one. But I think the idea is if you just apply the process on a grand scale, over time it's going to end up working out for you favorably. Well, I've got one one little hobby horse question I want to ask you because I, I keep going back to my boy, uh, you know, my Darren Waller of this year. I don't I don't think his ceiling is quite what Waller was, um, you know, the last couple of years. But Logan Thomas, for me, has been the sort of gatekeeper tight end I'm drafting in every draft. Um, he's sort of the back end of the top ten tight ends right now. You know, if you start going through them all. Uh, you know, I'm not going to name every one of them, but obviously you got the top three and then that sort of middle grouping. He seems to always be available at the end of that run. And to me, he's got probably, I mean, he's got at least as much upside as any of the guys in that group. Plus, well, maybe except Pitts, I guess, but uh, plus, um, you know, he's got a bunch of floor. I think he's got a ton of floor. So, you know, he's got ceiling and floor. And to get him where I'm getting him in almost every draft feels really good. You'll notice I also got him in the in the Dynasty Game Theory startup. And I did get him, I think it was like tight end 12 or something, 11 or 12 in that league uh, late. And I just feel like that's fantastic value for that guy. Um, I love him in every format, best ball, redraft, uh, Dynasty. I really don't care. Uh, are you with me on the on the Logan Thomas hype train? I am. I think uh, he's one of them. Um, there's two other names I'll throw out there that these are the three tight ends that I've bought the most aggressively this year. He is one of them. Uh, the other one is, and it kind of is in the same mold as, as, uh, you mentioned Darren Waller, but Logan Thomas is Evan Ingram and people, Evan Ingram just gets shit on. People say he's a terrible player, you know, and it's like, all I'll say is this is I could be wrong on Evan Ingram, but show me another tight end right now that has multiple hundred plus target seasons. 
So just applying the rule that, hey, this guy's clearly a good player because they're targeting the shit out of him over the four years yeah. that he's been in the league. And he's and he's missed like 12 games over that period too. So to still have you know as many targets as he has, maybe he's inefficient, maybe they'll reduce his targets, but something tells me you know, it's like Logan Thomas was his target or his targets a fluke last year. Maybe, but I, I tend to think that good players draw targets, right? So mm-hmm. Evan Ingram's one. And then the other one that I think could have a Robert Tanyan type impact where he doesn't see the hundred targets, but man, you could look up and go, how is this guy a top eight tight end? Uh, I think Gerald Everett could be that guy just because yeah. he's attached like to, Everett. he's attached to the efficiency King besides Rogers. I mean, Wilson's up there in terms of just, a Russell Wilson pass is worth, you know, 30% more than the league average. And so like Gerald Everett could get there with 80 targets and he could score nine touchdowns and you're going, wow, this guy had basically a Robert Tanyan year where it's like he had multiple two touchdown games and a couple hundred plus yard games. And you're going, wow, I would have, I should have bought in more because look at this offense. So uh, those three, I think are, you know, compared to, the prices of like Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson and stuff. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if you have those three that are in the mix with those other guys that are right outside that top tier. I love it. What about, uh, I, I love Gerald Everett, by the way. And, and Ingram is sort of one of those buy lows. You know who's the guy who I was tempted to buy low in a number of uh, best ball leagues and even in Dynasty a little bit? And I, I didn't pull the trigger probably smartly. I don't know. Zach Ertz is making a little bit of a, a comeback just for, you know, yep. I think he was a value all off season. And I think we probably all should have been buying just at that cost, even though there was a good likelihood he was not going to do anything. I thought the cost was so cheap, but uh, I got to ask you this one. Um, Adam Troutman or Cole Komet in dynasty, who you prefer? I'll take Cole Komet. He has a, yeah. I think he has a, I don't want to say he's a higher ceiling. Cause I think typically we get, we get way too enamored with these second year tight ends. We just expect that, well, they, they were okay as rookies. So they just have to get like 30% better as sophomores. And that's typically not the tight end trajectory. I mean, these guys that's can right. linger. I wouldn't be shocked if, if Cole Komet is a great player, but he doesn't have his first really good year until like 2023, 2024. I mean, sometimes tight ends take a while. They level off before they explode. So, I mean, I'd take Komet. He's two years younger, uh, has a better profile, um, was drafted higher. So, I mean, I would still lean towards him, but I actually think both those guys are being a little overvalued compared to, you know, some of the other veterans. I mean, you can get Mike Gusecki, Evan Ingram. You mentioned Logan Thomas. I mean, you can get those guys that are the same, basically the same range. And I, I'm almost positive they'll outproduce, you know, someone like Troutman, especially this year. Yeah, I think Troutman is being way overvalued, um, no doubt. Uh, there's a there's a couple of you know fanboys out there just singing his praises, and I like Troutman, but I think that some of the you know the 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 microphones that have loud uh, you know loud uh, voices have uh, affected that ADP for sure, um, and I think he's just slightly overvalued. I actually think he's got a shot just because there's an absence of target opportunity there. I mean, there's just so much target share to go around there. Someone's got to get it, but I'm not so sure that they view Troutman as a, you know, a, a wide receiver as much as they do as a tight end. He was a great blocker. I think he's going to continue to block. Jawan Johnson was actually playing in, in, uh, in passing downs uh, over Troutman in the first preseason game. I don't know what the hell's going on there, but a lot of, lot of, you know, a lot of uncertainty. Mike Gusecki 
is officially thrown off the bridge again this year. I threw him off a bridge last year. I'm going to go ahead and throw him off the bridge again this year. Uh, I just don't see it. Uh, he's a he's a slot wide receiver. He's not a tight end. He has tight end designation, but they they brought in Will Fuller to play the the outside, and they brought in uh, Jalen Waddle to certainly didn't pick him sixth overall to have him sit the bench. I think he's got to play Gasecki. That is, he's got to play over um, one of those three guys: Fuller, Parker, or Waddle. I don't see it. I just don't see how he gets on the field enough to make a difference this year. He'll have some boom weeks, maybe a couple big plays. I mean, kid's athletic. I just don't think he's a good enough tight end. He's a pretty good slot wide receiver, obviously, but not as good as any of those other three guys I just mentioned. So I'd be very dubious of of Gusecki, although his price seems to drop because I think there's a lot of people that believe the same as me. Well, and I think the – so the interesting thing is not a lot of tight ends get hyper-targeted. Very few. So really, I, I do think this efficiency coefficient is a lot more important for tight ends than it is for other positions. I mean, if you just tell me I can take tight ends and they're going to get 70 to 90 targets, that's in, that's where a lot of them end up falling, right in that range where it's like they get four or five targets a game. A lot of their season finishes end up being who scored the most touchdowns, which is hard sure. to predict. But you know, I look at these guys that have efficient quarterbacks. I don't care about the type of – that's one of the negatives about a guy like Evan Ingram. It's like he could get 100 targets, but they're, they're dog shit targets. You know, they're Daniel yeah. Jones targets. They're, they're negative value targets. So he's going to need 110 targets to equal what, you know, Gerald Everett could get with 80 targets. So I kind of am, am okay following – you know, here another guy that just has been completely forgotten about, which I don't think he has a high ceiling, but he's actually attached to a fairly efficient quarterback is Austin Hooper. He's been just written off, and he he's probably has a really good shot to be like a tight end fifteen, tight end twelve. And is he going to get a hundred targets? Probably not. But if he gets eighty, he has efficient quarterback that's throwing it to him. So I, I don't know that. That's what I buy with with tight ends. Is I. I if you're telling me that this guy's going to need to get there at volume because his quarterback's terrible, uh, I'll typically bet against that. So I know I said Evan Ingram, but that's because he has a history of getting 100 plus targets. If he's down in the 80 range, he's going to be a bust. Noah Fan, yeah, if he's in the 80 range, he's going to be a bust. I mean, look at the quarterbacks that are throwing him the ball. So I think that's a big thing is the efficiency because not not a lot of tight ends get there by having you know 140, 130 target seasons. Typically, they got to get there on like 80 or 90. And if they're not efficient, they're just going to get pounded. Well, and for me, I'm always looking at tight ends to who play in all game situations. And that's one of the reasons that I am targeting Logan Thomas. He played a league-leading 96% of offensive snaps at the tight end position last year. Uh, in the preseason, I think he was in for every every uh, snap of the uh, starters' reps. Uh, he's just going to be on the field all the time. He is just got a new contract. So, you know, just follow all the signals that say that they love this guy. Whether you like him or not or anybody else likes him or not, it, whether I like him or not, doesn't matter. Uh, the coaching staff and Washington and and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick will like him as well. So that that's that. Um, we we gotta we gotta call it, man. I'm on vacation. My kids are knocking at the door. I think they made a few uh, cameos in this show. I think you might have heard them screaming on a few a few of this. So they're, they're in the, they're in the show for sure today. But um, uh, Scott, you're awesome. Uh, I just want to tell you that um, when I type your name now, it automatically capitalizes that second O. Like my iPhone just now knows it's the big O on the second O. <laughs> I swear to God. Uh, inside joke. Yep. I love that. I love that. 
<laughs> so uh, that is Scott Connor with two O's C O N N O R. Scott, tell them where to find you. I know you got a great Patreon, and tell them where to find you on Twitter and and anything else you got going on. Just share with the people because I'm sure after hearing this, they're, they're going to want to go listen to that podcast uh, that I was on Dynasty and Chill. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Great time. Just chopping it up with, uh, I think, another like-minded individual. I respect your work. I respect uh, a lot of your takes, even if we disagree on players or, or process. Um, I like. I, I respect your thinking. You know, a- anybody that has a process or thinks, um, I can always have a conversation with. So thanks for having me on. People can find me at Charles Chill FFB. I do do some writing for DLF. Uh, my writing days are... You know, kind of when I, I get around to it or have something I really want to write about, which is very infrequent these days. Uh, but we do have a YouTube channel or a YouTube show on DLF called Manic and Chill. Myself and Shane Manila, we do a weekly show on there. Uh, and then the Dynasty and Chill podcast that I do myself that uh, if you like – I think if you like this kind of discussion, you'll like my podcast, similar type of, uh, you know, we're diving down into the weeds on strategy and theory more so than just talking about ADPs or talking about players or talking about trades. So yep. Dynasty and chill DLF and, uh, and yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Charles chill FFB. So thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it was a ton of fun and I hope your team completely flames out or at least comes in second behind me <laughs> in my league. I don't really care where you finish as long as I, I, I take that thing down, but uh, it's an honor having you on the program. It's an honor having you in the, uh, in the league as uh, I knew you'd be a great addition to the league because of the way we think together. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, gracing the, the league as well. I mean, it's just as easy to say no when someone asks you to be in a new league. Trust me. I know. Cause I get asked a lot. So I appreciate you saying yes and being a part of it. Yep, good stuff. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, on behalf of everybody at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody at the Undrafted, on behalf of the uncompromised Michael P. Duncan, the greatest producer in the entire land, on behalf of Scott Connor, I'm Jax Falcone. We out.